Welcome to the Ask an Expert podcast, hosted by Joshua Carlson, co-founder of the award-winning direct marketing agency, Propello Media. Ask an Expert is a show of candid conversations with proven business and thought leaders, talking about real problems, and more importantly, about real solutions you can use to benefit your own business. We hope you enjoy the honest and organic nature of each guest's conversation. So let's jump right in. After struggling with his business in 2013, today's Ask an Expert leveraged the scaling up principles by Vern Harnish. Hi, I'm Joshua Carlson, co-founder of Propella Media, and today I sit down with Sean Johal, who is now a certified scaling up coach. He helps businesses and entrepreneurs turn their business around and start moving in the right direction. Today, we're going to talk about a number of things, which include the importance of evaluating your internal talent and why over 50% of businesses get this wrong. We're also going to talk about about the mistakes that he sees with companies pivoting right now. And finally, we talk about the importance of focusing on the customer experience and how that can directly and positively impact your brand within the marketplace. Now let's hear what Sean has to say. Sean, welcome for coming on our Ask an Expert podcast. Thank you for having me. Super excited. Cool. So a couple of years back, you started an organization called Elevation, which helps businesses scale up. I love Genesis um, origination stories. Talk to me about how this came about um, to, to start this new venture. Absolutely. Uh, I got to take you a little further back to give you a little background <laughs> history. So I started a, a, an LED lighting business. It was a family business that my partner and I, who was my brother-in-law, uh, started that 11 years ago. And uh, as we went along, you know, like many new businesses, we had a lot of challenges at first, a lot of things yeah. we had to figure out. And in 2013, we hit a wall. I mean, we were just completely backwards, the wrong people in the wrong seats, no execution, yeah. no strategy. And that's when we stumbled upon the Rockefeller Habits from Vern Harnish. Yep. And he, uh, you know, he had written that book. And so we decided to implement in our own business with a coach. And that ended up being very successful. You know, we ended up 3Xing revenue uh, well into the eight figures and things went very, very well. And then Scaling Up came about, which was the next, you know, book that Vern launched. And I had so much passion for this. You see, I always got to get that image there, you know, make it nice and pretty there. And uh, for for me, what happened was I was so passionate about this and, you know, being an EO member, uh, I was helping the accelerators in EO. So I was mentoring a few smaller businesses. And I just said, you know what? I love this and I'm going to take the leap. And so I decided to become a full-time scaling up coach and leadership speaker two years ago. Okay, fantastic. Um, So one of the things that I I saw that you do when you start is evaluating an organization's DNA. Um, What is that process? Walk me through what that is. So it's interesting because as you know, as an entrepreneur, a lot of business owners think certain things about their businesses, which often are not true. Like, for example, they might think they have the best team in the entire industry. And then when you start looking at the team and assessing it, you start realizing that there's other people in the wrong seats or there's people who really don't fit the company culture. And they quickly come to terms with the fact that they may need to make some changes. So what we end up doing is we get in there, we do an assessment based on the four big pillars, which are strategy, people, execution, and cash. So we do a very detailed assessment to understand, okay, what's strong, what's going well, do they have long-term goals written and understood by all the employees? Do they need help fixing other elements of their business? Is their execution really strong? Do they have cash in the bank? You know, or is that something that they have a little bit of? Most entrepreneurs don't have much of it, as we've seen in this crisis. Um, so that's really the goal is to do an initial assessment and then present that to them. And it's the starting point of our work together. 
So I'm curious when you guys go through that process, what's the percentage of people that are in that, hey, we've got the the best, you know, DNA out there versus your evaluation saying, hey, you, you've got some good components, but you've got some bad stuff too. I'd say to you, uh, Josh, it's about 50-50. So, okay. you know, you have some people starting this process that are completely at their wits end. So they come in and they're desperate for help and right. they know there's major issues there. Those are kind of the easy clients because you kind of get in there and you can fix a lot of things right away. And then you get other clients who already are rolling kind of high, things are going well, and they think that the process will just take them to one other level. Yep. But then you often realize even in that process that there's quite a few issues that need to be dealt with. So let's talk about dealing with them. What is the, what is the process to begin dealing with it? Um, how do you guys help them implement that? Absolutely. So once we get the assessment back, it gives me an opportunity to down, sit down with the entrepreneurs and really understand and explain to them, here's where we see some major holes, Here, here's where we see some issues. Because every business, as you know, is very different. So some companies might be really good strategically, but have poor execution. Some people might have, some companies might have really good people, but not have any cash flow. So yeah. we'll really determine where we need to focus our energy. And so that'll give me a lot of information on where I need to spend most of my time. I always make sure I work with strategic teams. So I like to work with an entire team. So most often, you know, I usually start working with companies that are about 5 million in the size yeah. in terms of revenue, because then they usually start having a bit of a strategic team helping out. And so my, it's funny enough, my smallest clients right around that size. My biggest client is 180 million okay. uh, company. Um, so you do get that big range. Usually when you get over 180, 200 million, it starts being more challenging to implement scaling up. Sure. Then you have, you know, different business units. Yeah. Um, so then, yeah, you get in there and you really discover where the holes are and then you take them through a one page planning process. So you really want to build their one page plan. Um, you know, getting back to what people think often entrepreneurs think they have the best values in the world. For example, you know, core values, they're untouchable. They're the best. And then I usually ask them three simple questions. I say, do you use these values to hire, fire, and use as your moral compass in the business? And we start reframing it and we start asking other team members if they use the values that way. 99% of the time, it's a big fat no. It's like, no, we don't use that. It's more a marketing tool, something that we like to have out there, put on the walls. Right. So unless you're living by those core values and integrating them into your annual and quarterly evaluations, uh, you're not using them the right way. So often we'll do a full revamping of the core values, figure out the why of the company. So, you know, Simon Sinek's famous book, learn how to implement that, make sure that people understand that a why is more important than the mission and the vision. We really want to understand why the company exists, why it's relevant. And then we'll get into Jim Collins' BHAG. You know, we'll really go through that big, hairy, audacious goal. And again, the majority of companies that I see that have a BHAG, it's always $100 million or, you know, the best company in a certain industry. And I say, well, that is, first of all, um, not inspiring for your team. So you're not going to get people to get too by that. And secondly, what does the best even mean? You know, the leading company in industry, right. that's not very relevant. So then I'll usually get them to change their mindset and really look for a BHAG that'll be incredibly inspiring for everybody jumping on board. So those are, you know, more strategic pieces. Then we'll go through people, as I mentioned, do a full assessment of every single employee. So whether you have 10 employees or 200, mm -hmm. we're going through all of them one okay. by one. And we'll do an assessment to understand how strong they are. And then, you know, look through execution, see if, you know, are they putting in the lean process or things going well on that side? And finally, cash acceleration strategies and what we call the power of one, what we can do to increase cash quickly, make it turn around and get quicker into our pockets and take a longer time to get out. Yeah. 
Always a good uh, a good goal to to reach for. Um, you talked about people, um, and obviously, you know, a, a corporation is a, an entity um, that is based upon all of these different people. Um, and you mentioned something that I want you to expand on, which is people in the right seats, um, because I think often we have great people. Um, but they're just in the wrong role. And so their potential is just being underutilized. Um, walk me through that and how you help organizations with that as well. Absolutely. So this was a little trick and uh, my scaling up partners would be very mad that I, we stole this from EOS, which okay. you know is the idea of asking the three big questions that you want to ask about every employee. First of all, do they get it? Do they understand the job that they're supposed to be doing? Number two, do they want it? So do they want to even be in that position? Yeah. A lot of times the answer is no. And then the third question is, is, are they capable of doing that job? And the thing is, Josh, is that not a, a no to one of those answers is not always the employee's fault. You know, sure. for example, if they're not capable of doing their job, well, is it because they didn't have the right skill set from the beginning? Were yeah. they not taught how to do the job properly? Um, you know, were, did we do the right analysis right from the start? So we start asking those questions. Then I like to go through what we call our top grading talent assessment chart, which is truly trying to understand if we have an A player which is kind of you know a clonable person, someone you wish you had another yeah. million people out there on the company. B players, which are more values driven, but need a little help on coaching productivity. C players, which are zero value, zero productivity. So why the heck are they in the company? <laughs> and then you have the uh, the most challenging angle, which is which we call BC players, uh, yeah. which are brilliant jerks. Okay, so those are people who are incredibly yeah. talented in terms of productivity but they just do not care about company values, company culture. They're all about me, me, me. And so once we get those two elements done, you know, really understanding if the, the, the employee is either in the right seat and wants that job and is capable, and then you know, the second part being looking at where they fall on the chart, that usually gives us a lot of great information to determine the next step with them. And usually we'll get into development planning and leadership planning after that. How much difficulty do you run into with those BC players um, as far as telling an organization, I know they're brilliant, but they're dragging down the rest of the, the team? So I'll share an experience from my own business where okay. it took us five years to get rid of our BC players. Okay. Uh, and just put into context, over the five years that we did scaling up and we're still doing it, I'm coaching my own business now, which is totally bizarre. But um, Basically, it works though. Uh, basically, the, the, we ended up changing 85% of our team. Wow. So we ended up changing. And when I tell that to uh, potential clients, they freak out. Oh my God, I don't want to change 85% of my team. I said, listen, I'm not saying we're going to change 85% of your team, but there will be a progression as you go along and you will see there, there will be changes. We always protect BC players. No matter what, we protect them because of how productive they are. Yeah. As an entrepreneur, you tell yourself, I need productive people. Yeah. If I have a person who can get out a thousand orders per day versus someone who can only get out a hundred orders, you know, I'm going to take that thousand person order person no matter what, right? Or even to the detriment of the company culture, which is often what we see happen. Sure. So it's often what happens is we get rid of C players really quickly. We figure out that there's some B players that are never going to be productive. So we try to change seats, so change those people out of different seats quickly. And then after a little while, as they see the BCs continue to poison the well, we bring in more A players because I also help them implement the top rating and who hiring system. So we start getting a lot better people in the company and they're not tolerant of these VCs. So the VCs often end up filtering themselves out naturally because they see that the company culture is changing and they don't yeah. fit. So that's what ends up happening. But it's tough. It's my biggest challenge all the time. 
Yeah, well, it's totally understandable because I think you, you're right. Entrepreneurs do see productivity, right? Because that, that translates to the bottom line. What they don't see is the reduction of productivity across everyone else and the impact that it can have. So, um, so kudos to you for, for tackling that within your own organization and helping others do that. Um, you've talked about employee recognition and the value of it. Can you talk about how important that is um, for those you know, A and B players? Absolutely. So this, I'd say to you, Josh, is the number one thing missing in the majority of companies that I see. Uh, you know, we always think that we take care of our employees, right? We think that we're yeah. always giving them pats on the back. We're always telling them, you know, hey, Max, hey, Susie, you're doing a fantastic job. And then you ask the employee and they tell, you know, the stats come out that they think there's zero employee recognition. They're yeah. never being appreciated. And it's a huge, huge issue. So what I implement with, you know, the majority of clients, and we did this at our own business, is systematic recognition. That's what we really refer to as. Like I, I use that term to really explain what we're going to do. So what happens is at first we start monthly, but monthly is very intense. After okay. that, we'll go to quarterly. And what we do is on a quarterly basis, we do this talent assessment that I told you about. Anybody who falls into the A player category, anybody, mm-hmm. systematically every quarter gets recognized. Now, when I tell this to clients, they get freaked out. Recognize means money. I said, no, it doesn't mean money. Stop always... Yeah associating recognition with money. You know, one thing that I taught clients to do is very simply the management team, the strategic team, there's six, seven, eight of you. You go to, you know, the dollar store, you buy a 10 pack of cards. Okay. It costs you 10 cents a card. Everyone signs the card and says, Hey Josh, you've been phenomenal over the last quarter. We appreciate everything you're doing for us. You're a key team member. Everyone recognizes the work you're doing. Please keep it up. We couldn't be more thrilled to have you part of the team. You hand that letter to Josh and you let Josh go home with that letter. I promise you the impact that has on an employee to have a team recognizing them for the work that they're doing is just, you know, can't be put into words. So those are the type of tricks that I try to tell my my clients. Another thing is to get to know your employees. So if you know your employee really well, you know that they maybe just had a baby, for example, or, you know, they, they want to renovate, you know, their basement. And then you do something for them that helps them specific to their needs. So you give them a gift certificate for Babies R Us or, you know, you give them a gift certificate to Home Depot and explain to them why that's important. Or you just take them to lunch if they're stressed out, you know, yeah. one-on-one and you, you thank them for everything they're doing. So those type of things done every quarter end up really having a snowball effect and being very positive with the long-term culture. Yeah, I think, you know, well, I, I shouldn't generalize. I can speak personally, which is I've been in organizations that did recognize and I've been in organizations that didn't. And it is really light and day um, as far as, you know, the way that people respond to it. Um, because what I've seen is it keeps people in the A seat much longer. And it also keeps them in the A seat within your organization much longer. Because the risk when you do develop an A player is that, you know, at some point they're going to want to spread their wings and do something different, um, which is great for them. And I always encourage, you know, all of my team members, if, if they want to, you know, by all means, but you can keep employee retention much longer. Um, by, by doing that recognition. Um, okay, so let's talk about where we are at right now. Very challenging times. Um, pivot is kind of, you know, the buzzword within business. Um, my concern is that companies, um, you know, they only have one shot kind of thing, right? And so if they pivot in the wrong direction, um, they're going to be, you know, that, that's it, right? Because they just don't have a runway. Um, so what are the recommendations to help businesses try to validate or think as strategically as possible about a pivot prior to actually doing it. 
Absolutely. So as you know, scaling up coaches, we ended up changing our model quite a bit over the last 120, 150 days. As you can imagine, you know, we've really gone to a different concept where we've been tackling this whole the virus situation, seeing how it affects clients. And obviously there's some clients that are just exploding and their business is booming. You know, I have a telemedicine company as a client who just hired 450 people in 40 yeah, days. Right. Um, you know, it makes no sense. And even for them, you know, it was a different shift in mindset because they have to pivot as well. It's, it's still a pivot for someone doing well. Yeah. Uh, but obviously the, the bigger struggle was the companies that, you know, had their business decimated yeah. or that, that went very poorly. One common mistake that I've been seeing is because of this idea of pivoting and being more agile, I've seen people just do these direct pivots toward things that buzzwords that they think they just need in their business. Yeah. Okay, we got to go digital. We got to go online. We got to go online. I've heard I got to go online. And you know, for example, if you're a sprinkler company, you know, and you're a sprinkler company that needs to go see clients and fix their sprinklers, you're not going to be able to fix them online. Like you're just you're that type of company. You're a service-based company that needs to go on site. And so instead of saying to them, you know, you got to try to promote all your business online, which that was what they were telling me. Okay, how are we going to take this online? I said, you're not going to take your sprinkle this yeah. online from what I can tell today, unless you start trying to sell, I guess, some systems or something online. But instead, what we did, we said, well, could we convince your teams and your clients to accept you overnight when there's no one in the building instead of going in the daytime? So, right. you know, start going into there from 5 to midnight or from midnight to 7 a.m. Now you're not coming face-to-face -face with people during the virus. And maybe your competition doesn't do that. And then they figured out that was a massive X factor for them because you know, the competition didn't want to try to have people working around the clock. They just wanted sure. to do nine to five. And they ended up gaining more business because of that. And so it was a different type of pivot for, for this virus. So you know, for me, I'm really trying to explain to clients to say, listen, don't just do generalized pivots. The most important for you is to really focus in on having a pivot that works for your business and your industry. Okay. And that's great because, you know, obviously, like I said, you don't have a big runway for a lot of these companies. So be strategic. Don't just necessarily follow the noise. Um, from a marketing standpoint, you know, as we are doing pivots, um, what recommendations do you have to communicate these pivots to, to your existing customers as well as prospects you know, that, you know, now you're doing something that's different um, that wasn't available before? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. What I've noticed is that most people have had the need to stay very close to their clients throughout this process because, mm -hmm. you know, their clients were suffering in many cases as well. That domino effect that you've seen, right? I've heard yeah. clients probably say that suppliers are saying that they're not going to pay them because they're not getting paid and then they're not going to pay their supplier because, you know, that, that terrible vicious circle that you could get into. And so, you know, my recommendation has been to get very, very close to your clients be as flexible as possible, obviously, because that's super challenging. So yeah. on that communication piece, make sure that you're reaching out to them, understanding, okay, are things going well? Are things going badly? What can you do to actually help them? You know, just as an example, in my coaching business, I reached out to all my clients and said, pay me if you can. And if you cannot, I'm not, I'm not worried about it for, you know, March, April, May, whatever it takes. If you can't pay, if you can't cover any costs, those will just be free months for you. And we'll just pick it back up when you want. Okay. And, you know, it's funny. I actually had a client reach out to me and said, you're the only guy I'm going to pay because you're the only one who offered not to be paid. You know, he said every other person said they wanted to get paid immediately and they were all harassing him because they were scared to not get paid. Yeah. And he said, well, that just pushed me further away. So having this direct line to your customers, some people are already good at that, but some people are not. You know, they kind of have sure. business models where they don't speak with their clients all the time. So to me, it was number one, reaching out to your clients just on a daily, weekly basis, understanding where their business is at, if they're suffering, what they're making as decisions. And in the same way, coming back the other way and having that constant communication back and forth to say, well, how can I help you? I know it's tough right now. 
it's tough for us as well. And what can we work out together to, to really make that you know happen and, and go better? Obviously, for me, you know, when I look at marketing, I define marketing in two ways. Number one is brand image. Mm -hmm. uh, that's how I, I look at marketing being very important. And the number two is the customer journey. Um, mm -hmm. So you know, this was more focused, I think, on customer journey than brand image. Which you know, by taking care of the customer journey, you're automatically helping your brand image. Yep. But I was really telling them understand what your customer's new journey is through the virus because I think their journey has changed quite a bit and sure. you have to be there and ready to adjust and adapt your message to them and make sure you, you adjust your business model a little bit to accommodate your clients because you know when things come back they're going to remember yeah. who took care of them and who didn't that's for sure yeah there's there's a saying and I forget where it comes from but basically you know an organization will be remembered by how they handled mistakes more than what they do right um, and, and it also, what you're talking about echoes what I've been hearing from a lot of guests, which is empathy right now, right? Having empathy. Um, and what I love about it is it's a, it's the right thing to do, right? I mean, it, it is the human thing to do is to be empathetic and, and be understanding. Um, but B, what I also like about what you shared is that helped you get paid, right? Because you were doing the right thing. Like that actually, you know, made somebody recognize um, and value you more. So, um, so great, great feedback. Um, I'd like to to shift and just talk about videos technology. Um, we've all we're obviously you know doing video right now, um, yeah. but so much of video has been internal. It's been um, you know colleague to colleague. You know that we can't be at the corporate office anymore. Um, I see this as this tremendous opportunity where video has been talked about for years, but so many organizations haven't done anything with it. Now this door has been opened. What are ideas for how companies should be looking at video outward into the marketplace? Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic question. I think that the video medium for those that were already good at it and that were already you know, somewhat virtual, they've seen you know, an incredible opportunity right now to be that much more efficient right. uh, during this, this virus. One thing that I really love that we ended up doing in my LED lighting business is that, that my business partner, uh, CEO Joey, he decided from day one that he would do video communication to everybody in the entire business and also to our clients and customers based on the situation. And we saw a few, I don't know if you saw the Marriott video, and there was a, a few videos out there of CEOs coming out and really kind of giving a message of what was happening and how they were going to adjust. Yeah. But what I loved about you know, what Joey did for us internally was that he brought a lot of security uh, mm. to both the team and to our clients, giving these updates. It went from daily to weekly to monthly to now, you know, kind of starting to, to, to trail off because we're back to full business. But I think that the way it was done and the way it was communicated had a massive impact uh, on both the team and on our customers because they saw, okay, you know, we were fortunate because we didn't actually shut down. So we actually were able to continue because a few of our clients were considered, uh, considered essential services. Sure. Um, but it really allowed us to explain, okay, here's what we're doing as a management team. Here's how we're reacting. Here's what we're going to do tomorrow. Here's what we're going to do on Thursday. And just for them to constantly hear the CEO coming out and saying, you know, we understand it's a scary time. We know it's tough for you right now. We know things aren't necessarily where you want them to be. Um, but we're going to work through this and, and get to you, you know, the best way we can. So for me, that's, um, that's the number one part of it. You know, I actually studied documentary filmmaking. Um, I actually graduated in documentary filmmaking. I was going to change the world with, you know, tackling social and political and racial issues, uh, which are obviously very prevalent and a yeah. big issue today. Um, you know, so I've always been a massive believer in, in video. Um, we did a, a lot of important videos at our own company where we were doing a lot of 
uh, instead of doing promotional videos, which I don't think are the right thing to do, yeah. we were doing how-to videos. So mm -hmm. we did a lot of videos on how to install LED lighting, for example, and we were sending those out to clients and showing them you know, what worked and what didn't and why uh, they should look at it. One of my best friends is one of the top TV directors here uh, locally in uh, Montreal, and uh, he's been solicited like crazy sure. by companies right now that want to do outward-facing videos. The only thing I would say is to be very careful of is, is that getting too promotional, uh, yeah. I don't think is the key. I think you have to figure out a way to get your message across, maybe get a little creative, think out of the box on what you could do to show your company something, but uh, show, show your clients something about your company, but at the same time, give them value. So right. you got to be thinking to yourself, what can I do from a video perspective that will give value? Any type of learning, any type of tools, anything that they could use that is not a sales pitch, yep. uh, and that will eventually draw them back towards us. Well, I like that. It echoes uh, a guest earlier today where he was talking about video is, it's not new, but it, it is the new channel right now. The problem he's seeing is that organizations are using traditional methods of communicating in video where it's like, no, this is different. So you should be communicating different. And I like how you guys didn't do the how-to videos because that is providing the value. Um, and what I think gets full circle here, and you mentioned about marketing, you know, the two types of marketing. So we've got your branding, you've got your customer experience. If you are being personal and you're relating to your customers, like you are getting this brand. Cause so many times I think we think video, we think branding. Um, but really it's an opportunity to, to personalize your brand. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think that's so important. And you know, it's, it's shocking to me because it seems so simple, you know, and I know we, I think you had on your show, maybe John Julius, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. You know, I had a chance to meet him a couple of times that are scaling up, uh, uh, workshops and things like that. Um, you know, we think as a business owner and entrepreneur, Oh, Everybody thinks client first, but we don't. And companies don't in general. For every one good customer and client experience story that I hear, I hear nine bad ones. Yeah. You know, that's really the ratio that I'm seeing out there. And it's shocking to me. That includes you know, uh, going to restaurants, going to stores. Obviously, now things are completely different. But I'm saying even before this time, yeah. um, I think you know, people would really have value to look at their customer journey and their experience. And heck, even reach out to John and Julius to talk with him and say, you know, what is it that we could do as a business to really change the way the customer is interacting with us from the first day that they speak to us yeah. till the last day and we get paid and we even do, you know, a post-service survey of some type. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it's really lacking. I, I just see so many times people get caught up and they're just worried about delivering their product or their service out there. They're not actually taking care of the entire journey, which is crucial as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, well, I know you have a hard start. So Sean, I want to welcome you uh, back again, uh, because this has been fantastic. I really appreciate uh, the insights that you've shared. And uh, I wish you guys best at, uh, at the coaching as well as the LED business. Perfect. I really appreciate uh, you having me on. I'll be back anytime you like. All right. Thanks, Sean. Thanks a lot. Hi, it's your host, Joshua Carlson, and I wanted to thank you for listening to today's show. This is the point where most shows ask you for a five-star review, but we're not doing this for the accolades. Don't get me wrong, seeing five stars feels great, but our goal here is to provide real content from real experts that can meaningfully propel you and your business forward. So if there's something we fell short on, a question we missed, or if you just have any constructive feedback, go ahead and leave a review with your thoughts. We also enjoy hearing directly from our listeners, so look for our contact info via the show notes so we can connect one-on-one. -on -one. We really do love the feedback so we can continue to improve and propel the show forward for you and all of our listeners.